Check one, two, check one, two. Why is it always check one, two and never check one, two, three? I don't know. People always say one, two. It's like tradition or superstition, maybe? Check five, six. Check five, six. Yeah, see, that sounds weird. Well, what, what if we go higher? Check ten, eleven. Check ten, eleven. Yeah, I, I don't like that at all. But bigger actually. numbers give you, like, more of a check, right? Like, check thirty-six, thirty-seven. Check thirty-six, thirty-seven. That's just too long. I, I hate that. Let's let's just do check one, two. Check eight hundred and forty-six, eight hundred and forty-seven. Check eight hundred and forty-six, eight hundred and forty-seven. You're just being silly now, James. Check nine thousand four hundred and sixty-two. 9,463 Could you two please step away from the microphone? I, I fixed it. it! No, I did! James were very quickly arrested at the supermarket <laughs> where they found an unattended speaker system. <laughs> this, I genuinely feel like if we found, like we're going to Command Fest this weekend at mm. the time of recording. It'll already happened when you guys hear this, but that's fine. But if there's a PA system, that is probably <laughs> an accurate do. representation of what, what happens if do. they let us on a microphone. I believe it. Um, <laughs> welcome to the Get Commanded podcast by the Greensboro Commander community. It's a GCP by the GCC and... And POG, Palms Off Gaming, sponsor of this podcast. We're all uniting forces to help you to have better games of Commander. I'm your host, Walt. And hello, Commander players. I'm your other host, James. Now, before we get to this transmission, just wanted to remind you, all of you lovely listeners, because I know that some of you are listening to this at like 5am when this episode releases on a Friday morning. You I have mean, some dedicated listeners. They might be overseas, so it might be like a reasonable hour for That's them. That's true. It's but when possible. I wake up in the morning and check how many downloads have happened, <laughs> and by 7, there's already a bunch of downloads from you guys. Wherever you are in the world, we appreciate it. We appreciate you getting so into it so quickly. And if you want to support the amazing content that you're hanging out for every single week, there's no better way to do it than directly at our Patreon. So you can head to patreon.com slash getcommandedpodcast to support what Walt and I are doing and help us out when we get abducted by the Space Commanders every now and then. Which, speaking of... We've yeah. got a transmission for this we week. We do have a transmission. The green light is blinking. So from the deep depths of the galaxy, from the Space Commanders, it's time to get commanded. All Commander players need to attain a dominating position in order to win the game. But some players reach this position at too early a stage. You are more likely to win by becoming the second Threat. Interesting. So basically, they're saying mm-hmm. hold back the person that's. I mean, the command zone have talked about this before, interestingly. Yeah. I remember they did an episode where they said if you're the first threat, you're the one everyone wants to remove. So the space commanders are saying here don't be the first player removed, be the second one, and then you're likely to win the game. Yeah, I definitely have heard Command Zone talk about this. Yeah, definitely mm. explicitly they've said, like, it's better to be the second threat. So maybe that's where they get the words second threat from. Yeah. Um, the other per- 
place I suppose we've talked about this before, or the context we've talked about this in, is um, talking about Sam Black. Cause he's blessed a- be his name. <laughs> <laughs> Holy man. Um, who we t- talked at length about the way that he builds decks because he's got these great... Twitter threads, great YouTube videos about the way that he builds commander decks. Specifically Spe- his mana curve. Well, specifically mana curve. And basically his philosophy behind his mana curve, which by the way, if you don't know, there's the mana curve episode, but basically he builds really low mana value average decks. Mm. So lots of one mana, two mana, three mana spells, as opposed to that four five where some of us are playing more spells. Um, and specifically the reason that he said he does that is because he likes to play incidental value that doesn't draw attention to himself. Mm. So I think, I'm guessing this is where the space commanders are coming from, is when you're the, that first threat, right? First out the gate, yeah. you're probably going to draw all the attention. And then the second threat, the one who comes after you, is more likely to win that game because people will sort of use their resources on that first player. Yeah. I'm guessing that's where they're coming from. Well, like, I think a really good example of this um, in the thread of, you know, Sam Black's Twitter rant yes. <laughs> was he used it an example of like nested shambler. Yeah. It's a one drop and it's played really early in the game. If mm. you have that in your opening hand, you play swamp, tap it, play nested shambler. Nested shambler is a one one that says when it dies, you make X one one squirrels where X is its power. Yeah. That is not a thing to be like, oh my god, we gotta remove that thing on yeah. turn one. <laughs> no one gives a hell about that. No. That is not part of his deck building philosophy. But you know, I think we should outline what an early threat in Commander does look like. Mm, Well, the words that the Space Commanders used was dominating position. So they Mm. said, like, we all want to get to a dominating position, but you shouldn't do it too early. So I guess we should outline what a dominating position actually looks like in a game of Commander. Yeah, this way you can also identify it when you're playing games of Commander. Oh, yeah. If you're able to, you know, go, okay, I remember listening to the Get Commander podcast and your board state looks exactly like the first 10 minutes of the episode (laughs) um, that I listened to. Uh, Yeah, this is a really good way of, like, highlighting who is the threat at the table. I like this. It's like a sort of sub-command within the command. Very good. How do I identify the threat? Yeah, basically. So, yeah, we're talking about the threat, basically. The first threat who's in that, quote, dominating position. So, I think... I think the most obvious indicators that someone's in a dominating position are going to be things that are immediately obvious to all players in the game. Mm. So I'm talking specifically usually about the things you can see on the battlefield and other information that you're aware of, like, well, as a good first example, someone's life total. Right? Yes, I mean, that's like, if you think about a scoreboard, which Commander doesn't have, mm. the closest thing it does have is the life total in the middle of the table. Yeah. Um, that's the closest thing we have to a scoreboard, but life doesn't always indicate who's a th- who's ahead. No. But it is a really good indicator. If someone's on like a hundred life, Yeah. it is very hard to kill them. Mm. Unless you're going down an infect route or commander damage route, yeah. then your deck might be more equipped to deal with them. Mm. But generally, a hundred life is really hard to deal with. Well, and you would be right in going, we need to do something about this. Yes. Like pooling resources, everybody else. I guess the other things that are that are immediately obvious besides life total is, yeah, that stuff you can see on the board. So, for example, if one player has more mana than everybody mm. else, that's like a pretty good indicator that they might be ahead. Like if it's turn sort of four or five and I have like eight mana and you have like five mana. So I've just hit a land drop on every turn. Yeah. You've played two, three, maybe two, spells. three ramp spells. Yeah. Like I just have so many more options for what I can do. And you so... can do more things on your turn. Yeah. 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 I think this is like the perfect time to shout out turn one soul ring. <laughs> um, yeah. the, the immediate threat in all mm. commander games. If someone plays turn one soul ring on turn two, they have four mana if yeah. they hit their land drop, which mm. 
if you play a turn one soul ring and miss your land drop, you should be A, okay, but B, punished just a little bit <laughs> for keeping that greedy one land turn one soul ring hand. You mm. should understand that that's not always a slam keep. No, <laughs> it's, and I, I think, yeah, turn one soul ring is maybe the most quintessential I am the threat thing and I'm the first threat as well yes. that's very much saying like hey I'm in the lead right now especially before anyone's done anything and even yeah. if they follow it up with like arcane signet then it was yeah. like well okay turn 5 you've got 5 mana if you hit yeah. your land drop you might not have many cards in hand but you can cast your commander mm. you can maybe play an enchantment that has an activated ability where you draw cards like yeah. you would just like kill kill that person yeah. if, if someone goes soul ring arcane signet that is T1 threat. They deserve to be the yes. threat. Yes. Yeah, 100%. Um, I think another thing that you might notice about a very dominating board is just like the sheer number of creatures. Mm. I'm not saying like if someone's got like a hundred creatures, but let's say I'm playing, um, I don't know, some sort of aristocrats deck or something. Sure. And I've got a couple of creatures on my board, mm -hmm. but you're playing like a big green stompy deck and you've got like 10 just by virtue of the fact that maybe me and the other players are on yeah. two, three creatures and you've got ten, you do just have more ability to influence people's life totals, most likely. I think you can also look a little bit deeper into creatures here as well. I think the amount of creatures is an easy thing to identify immediately, because you can just see how many cards are on the table yeah. in that top line on your playmat. Yeah. The other thing you should probably look at is the amount of total power that they have. Yeah. Because this is like representing potential all of it coming at you. Mm. And that's saying, like, I have this much power on board, plus whatever they have in their hand to pump their creatures or do some kind of overrun effect. Yeah. Are their creatures flying? Are they even harder to block? Do they have evasion? That's a really key thing. Yeah. Because then the damage that's represented on board is more likely to hit you. Yeah. I think there's, like, you can, there's layers to how many creatures there are on board. Totally. I think, I mean, you can sort of, like, think about it. I like doing this with magic sometimes where you sort of, like, do it in the reverse order of going, like, imagine if you was like looking at someone's board and it was empty but then they revealed a card in their hand that says target player loses 20 life and it costs zero mana you'd be mm. kind of like this seems like a problem yeah that also <laughs> seems like a card that might come out in commander legends we don't know <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i hope not turn one zero mana half someone's life total <laughs> Thanks, Gavin Verhey. Yeah, thanks so much, Gav. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but like that's that is what that amount of power represents on the board, and yeah. especially if it's yeah, like you say, ev evasive, like trample, flying, that kind of thing. Um, I think the other thing you can look at is if someone has just one of those really problematic permanents. Yeah, this I'm talking comes... like Ristic Study. Wow, that's a really good call out. Aetherflux Reservoir. That's literally nicknamed the Death Star. Yes, um, <laughs> for good reason. Yeah, for those that don't know, uh, Aetherflux Reservoir is uh, basically a, just a four mana, five mana in chat uh, artifact. Four, I think? I think it might be four. I think it's a four matter artifact. Mm -hmm. It sits on the battlefield and you gain a life for every spell you've cast this turn when you cast it. So yep. you cast your first spell in the turn, you gain one life. Cast a second spell, you gain two life when you cast that spell. Already cast great, by the way. If, the, if just that card was a four mana artifact, it would still see so much play. Yeah, incredible. But the second line of text <laughs> says pay 50 life. Which is a lot to pay, mm -hmm. but you do 50 damage to any target. Yeah. So you full-blown Death Star Alderaan into a billion <laughs> pieces. And Alderaan, by the way, is your friend's face. Um, <laughs> this is like really commonly seen in life game decks because they can get to 100 life, yeah. pay 50 and boom someone on 30. Or just like, like towards the end of a game when it's if it's just me and you playing and the other two players are eliminated. And oh, I'm, yeah. I've I got 50 life and you're on 35. It's just like, okay, well, if I get to 51... 
you're dead. Game like, over. That's the yeah. end of the game. I think this is um, a section that you need to be experienced with magic to understand. Because, yeah. like, Rhystic Study, Aether Flux Reservoir, great examples. But there are other some permanents, like, you know, even low drop permanents. We're going to say later on how we think that lower mana value has less of an impact on the game. But, like... Mm. Esper Sentinel is a recent card that does yeah. a very good impression of Ristic Study. It's actually mm. got the nickname Ristic Buddy. Yes. Um, so, like, that's a problematic permanent as well. That's it a is. lot of value on a card. But I think this comes with a lot of experience playing Commander. You need mm. to see permanents over and over again to be like, okay, I understand this is hyper problematic. Yeah. Um, you know, whether or not it's like a Grave Pact, which is wherever a creature dies on an opponent's board everybody sacks a creature yeah that is a hyper problematic card especially if someone's playing into that like using an mm. aristocrat strategy or something like that yeah i think you need to be a little bit of an experienced commander player to mm. go right that is a problem because of these reasons yeah but in a similar vein like if you are new to commander and you, you're not aware of some of these things keep an ear out for when you, you the other players even in jest see someone play a spell and go oop threat you know, yeah. when, when people start saying stuff like that and you know they've got quite a bit of experience playing Commander, take them seriously. Because I do see sometimes new players kind of doubting the influence of other players in the game. And I get it. They have their own vested interests. Obviously, we're all trying to win. Yeah. But sometimes someone is legitimately just trying to tell you like, in fact, I love the opposite of this, which is when a new player says... What's the worst thing on the board right now? And then three people get to like make their case, and often two of those players will land on the same thing and go, "Actually, it's got to be Aether Flux here." It is very academic when that happens, it isn't is. it? I do love. I, we play a lot with new players mm. um, within our community, and hopefully, going to get to play with some new players at Command Fest this weekend. Mm. Um, I can't wait to you know give this knowledge that I've got built up over years of playing Commander yeah. and go look. Analyzing the current board state, he's playing an aristocrat strategy, and he's only got these two drain effects but no free sacrifice outlet so they're not as problematic right now mm. this guy's playing life gain but it's not in this you know like yeah really get to analyze it and help this new player out but for new players that information can just like overwhelm you and wash over yeah so every single time someone points out a threatening card just take a mental note of it and actually this episode we're probably going to talk about a couple of really yeah. threatening cards i'd say so um take a note just if you hear the name aetherflux reservoir and that player over there that's playing the mono white heliod life gain deck goes <laughs> i cast aetherflux reservoir remember walter and i in your ear being like threat yeah that's a threat if you have your um uh wilt <laughs> cast that now yeah you can also more than welcome to uh, at the time when you see a permanent like that rather than me and James's voice you can also have a klaxon uh, going off in your in your mind <laughs> that would also be more than welcome rest uh, in peace to all headphone users yeah, I'm looking at that, that on the graph and that is a scary <laughs> spike so I apologize <laughs> when you said klaxon I looked at you I was like do it <laughs> <laughs> Make that noise. Sometimes. That's what happens in my head when I see an Aetherflux Reservoir. Sometimes you just got to do it to him. I actually hear the the actual siren that sounded on the Death Star. Oh, the... Like the... Yeah, what was that sound? Yeah. And then all the Stormtroopers running down the hallway. Yeah. And then all the Stormtroopers running through the hallway and one hitting his head. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Classic. But yeah, um, threatening board states, very easy to identify, but yeah. there's some like level to it. And I mm. think there are cards that you can easily point out. But yeah. It, there's layers to this. Mm, there definitely are. And look, like we're all like reasonably familiar with how these threats are going to look. And it's, especially as you play more commander, you will. But there's other things that, that might not be on the battlefield or in an obvious place that are still 
threatening to you ah, that you may not saying. be able to keep track of. And this is, yeah, something that we'll, we'll go into a little bit more later, into more depth later. But, like, for instance, cards in hand. Yeah, this is one that often is really hard to see because a lot of people group their cards together. Like on Arena, for example, you can go one, two, three, four, five because they're always fanned out. Yeah. They're always available. But usually when you're playing Commander, I'll like group my cards up into one pile and maybe put them on the table mm. if I've planned my turn. Yeah. Because I know what I'm doing. I don't need to look at my hand and I can see everyone, talk to everyone. It's really hard to count a pile yeah. of cards. So 99% of the time, if you're threat assessing, you're not going to be able to secretly count cards. No. Usually you have to go, how many cards has everyone got in hand? Yeah. And actually ask the question to get an accurate representation. Mm. However, if you're playing red and you ask that question, someone's going to think you're the threat because you're about to cast just as well. <laughs> <laughs> it's when true. I said that, I was like, I ask this question a lot. Why do I do that? Yeah. It's because I just play just as, as well. well. Yeah, <laughs> which is a threatening card, definitely. Yeah, so yeah. it's not something that's immediately obvious, I agree. But it is something that you should be, I think, keeping... You don't have to know exactly all the time, mm. but just, like, mentally note when someone draws, like, you know, any more than four cards in a turn. If someone draws six, seven, eight cards, you just got to think like even though they're just going down to hand size most likely at the end of that turn you got to think those are the best seven cards from mm. the top 15 cards of their library yeah that is so threatening to you just conceptually there's, you know? there's this like phrase called sculpting your hand yeah. which i really like in magic which I like it too. you know when you're discarding down to hand size that's what you're doing you're saying i don't need these cards but i do need these ones mm. what you're doing is planning your next turn yeah. to like use your mana super efficiently you'll see people when they're discarding be like how much mana will i have next turn mm. i if i can cast two five drops but i can't cast a five and a six yeah so i'll discard this six drop and mm. keep you know it's there is so much math in this game and experienced players when they are drawing this many cards if they are having a full grip every turn threat yeah that is scary it's definitely scary and the other thing that they might be doing by the way if they're drawing that many cards and they're playing a graveyard synergy is Ooh, they might be yes. putting the right things they need into the graveyard or just like having lots of stuff in the graveyard there are so many ways to take advantage of having a bin that's really full whether it be like stuff that cares about you know creatures that's power and toughness equal number of cards in bin yeah. or just you know graveyard reanimation spells well, like if you're playing against a graveyard person and they draw like 10 cards discard three creatures you've got to know they've got a graveyard recursion spell in hand yeah well i mean we talked about this just recently on the last episode of the podcast where we talked about all of your decks <laughs> but we specifically spoke about this in your arami deck because arami mm. encores permanence and you can go back to that episode to figure out how that dumb mechanic works <laughs> but gary gray merchant of asphodel yeah this is a really integral card to your game strategy it's mm. like a win con if you encore that you're doing what minimum it does if arami and all the garys are on the battlefield when they resolve the etb resolves it's minimum everyone takes 21 i gain 63 life that is insanity yeah you're a really lovely player and you <laughs> say i have gary in bin when it goes to graveyard yes. you're like very hey everyone just letting you know this is a threat yeah i love you for that <laughs> because i probably am not paying super close attention to what's in your graveyard yeah. and I wouldn't see your graveyard as a threat immediately if you didn't say it's in bin but when yeah. you do I'm like hang on next turn if he encores that we're losing 21 life yeah. I'm going to cast this Rakdos charm yes. like get rid of that exactly it's definitely like yeah it's it's less obvious but it is still public information so you can ask to see someone's graveyard yes. by the way if they're not being as forthcoming as I sometimes am yeah. sometimes to your own detriment <laughs> I, definitely um, but you can ask someone can I see the cards in your graveyard yeah. and they by the way like it's a rule of magic they have to show you that and yeah. it's the same by the way if you ever ask how many cards someone has in hand if someone says like oh 
oh, it doesn't matter or something. That's, by the way, illegal in the yes. game of Magic. They you have can... to tell you how many cards are in their hand. And Command is a casual format, but it still has rules. Yeah, you, you can't just be like, ah, oh, <laughs> no. I don't know. Don't worry about it, bro. Yeah, yeah. Like, this <laughs> fine. <laughs> but like the graveyard, yes, 100%, like mm. a real thing. Also, like, you know, maybe some people have got like, um, a synergy where cards in exile matter. If yeah. someone casts like a commune with lava, for example, mm. in a prosper deck, yeah. and they've got a million cards exiled, and they're all like really low cost, that player's about to blow up on their next turn. Yeah. Because every card they cast from exile is going to create them a treasure with prosper. They're yeah. going to do things. There's going to be synergy there. Totally. There are zones that are public information that you should care about. Yeah, totally. And I think the other thing is like, I mean, you mentioned prosper. Prosper is like the part of that puzzle that's also key keeping that wheel turning. Mm. And so when you play enough magic, you can start to just take track, take stock of when someone is playing a, like half of a well-known kind of two to three card synergy. So like, for instance, if someone plays Narset Parter of Veils... Oh, someone's about to cast a Windfall. They might be about to cast a Windfall. Yeah. So, by the way, the interaction here, Narset stops your opponents, so it's a Planeswalker, it stops your opponents as a static ability from drawing more than one card in their turn. Mm-hmm. If you cast Narset, if I cast Narset on my turn, yep. and you're playing in the game, there's two other players, and I cast Windfall, everyone discards their hand... We, I draw equal to the greatest number of cards discarded this way, and everyone else will draw one card. And everyone else on one card for the rest of the game unable to draw additional cards because of that Narset? Yeah. That is, like, game over, man. Yeah, it's basically over. Yeah. Um, even a card like Disciple of the Vault. If oh, someone... this works really well with um, the Prosper example, actually. Oh, yeah, because this... this is a treasure synergy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Super cool. So Disciple of the Vault is so good. It's banned in Pauper, by the way. <laughs> it is banned um, in Pauper. It's a one-mana black one 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 yep. that cares about when um, artifacts enter the battlefield. No, when they leave, or leave the, battle- the battlefield. When sorry, yeah. I think when they're put into the graveyard specifically. Because if you exile, so you, you sacrifice. So treasures, yeah. for example, are a great example of this. You Perfect. sacrifice ten yeah. treasures. Disciple of the Vault deals ten. Yeah. This is insane. Yeah, it's really strong. Might look innocuous, mm. but if they then cast like I don't know a Brass's Bounty, yeah. and they generate twenty treasures, it might just be game over. It might just be game over. That threat right now looks like nothing, mm. but in their hands they could have and this is all about this part of the the threat assessment is what could they have in their hand mm. that makes their board 30 times better yeah like have they got one 10 10 and 31 ones do they have overwhelming stampede yeah. in their hand it's kind of looking at the board state and going right if they have this in their hand it's game over so mm. i need to threat assess that as a like real urgent possibility. I think this is really related to like looking at the battlefield and finding those problem permanents and thinking about what could happen. This is really related to two things. One is what we've already talked about, which is how many cards they have in hand. Yeah. Right. Cause the more cards you have, the more likely it is you've got the other half of that synergy. Yep. Right. But the other thing is we have tutors in our format and they're very well played. So if someone yeah. casts disciple of the vault and then casts demonic tutor, you've got to think they are finding the absolute most synergistic card, probably with Disciple of the Vault, that they can possibly find. Yeah, Brass's Bounty's a good hit. Yeah. That'd be a great hit. 100%. But like, this is, this is like hard stuff to imagine because this yeah. is why magic is such a complicated game. Like chess, for example, chess is considered a open game. This mm. means it's an open piece of information that you know every position on the board, mm-hmm. you know where all your opponent's pieces are, yep. and you know where all your pieces are. You know all the legal moves that you're allowed to make, and you know all the legal moves your opponents are allowed to make. Mm. Magic is a partially complete game, yeah. where you can see 
some of the information and know how some of it works legally, mm. but you don't know some information, which is like what's in their library, what's in their hand, yeah. any hidden zones like face down exile. Mm. This is all stuff that's really hard to play at like high level magic. And that's why sometimes like, you know, you watch the pro tour play and they're like thinking there for 20 minutes and you're like, it's not that complicated, man. Just swing. And they're mm. like, nah, but I'm calculating whether or not they have a, like this one obscure bounce spell in yeah. their hand that like I know that they run in this archetype and this is the this is pro level magic thinking right here well and the thing is like while we're not trying to play at that level either of yeah. us you know this is a casual commander format I'm like casting that brass's bounty and just hoping it works yeah like straight <laughs> yeah. up but but in terms of like the comparison here like that those are 20 life 60 card 1v1 formats where the level of complication is that high. Non-singleton as well. Non-singleton. We play a singleton 100 card 4 player format. So that in terms of just the sheer amount of hidden information that we're going to encounter in a game yeah. it's just vastly more which also means there's just vastly more possible things that can happen that you have to think about. Yeah. So it's complicated but try to take stock of what you can see and what you are aware of like you don't know the cards in their hand, but how many do they have? Mm. That kind of thing. Um, and you you should get a better idea about what is looking threatening. But we should come back a little bit to the command, mm-hmm. which was about being the first threat and being the second threat. So this is what this is what we're seeing as a threat. If this mm. is happening early, what happens to that player? If someone's presenting all of this threatening stuff that we've just happened, what happens to them? They they lose right like their stuff most of the time their yeah. stuff gets removed they get their board like either it's target removal it might be a board wipe like a mass removal spell you know a damnation yep. sort of effect or it might just be player removal like if I am that far ahead you might have like twenty power on board and the ability to get through my my blockers you might just be like well it's gonna kill Waltz yep. Sometimes this happens in like a really political way as well. Like Mm. I've been in games, I I do this quite a lot actually. If I have the ability to kill the problematic player that was like the first threat and has been the threat the whole game, I can look at the other two players at the table. Let's say you're the threat, Walt, Mm -hmm. and I've got player A and B next to me. I go, hey, look, player A and B, we're all going to die to Walt pretty soon. He's been the threat for ages. He's got these on board. He's got 20 cards in his hand. We're all screwed. I can kill him right now. But I'd like a turn amnesty. My board doesn't get touched for a turn. Mm. Let me kill him and then we can play fun, fair magic, right? By the way, use that. It's not trademarked. You can use that political deal as much as you like. It's phenomenal. Works every time. I think there's a hidden patent on this. And I think it's got James Elvira's written all over it. I get, I get like a small, like a little, like a check every time someone uses that political deal. You've got like a loyalty deal. program yeah. set up with the, the loyalty people. I'm not um, great lawyers. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. Like, it's something that does happen because people get threatening. Yep. And it gets to a point where it's like, cool, we can try blowing everything up, but it might be easier just to kill them. Yeah, Arch Enemy is a format that was created because this happens yeah. in Commander. <laughs> Straight up. Like, and, and I think the important thing to keep in mind is, like, obviously, we don't want to lose. Um, that's just, like, a given. But if we're talking just specifically from the perspective of just, like, enjoying playing Magic, we also just don't want to, like, be out of the game. Like, I know mm. I know we've said this before, but we enjoy, like, games that can be a little bit longer if they're close, right? Yes. We yeah, want yeah. to be at the finish line. I mean, we don't have to be first against the finish line, but we want to be close. We want to yeah. see it. We want to have the other players in our periphery. Yeah, my favourite games are when all four players are still alive at the very end. Yeah, and, and anyone can have it. someone just ekes out that win. That's yeah. like, everyone's neck and neck, and it's like, it's like the photo finish commander yeah. game. That's what we're all 
dying for, right? 100%. 100%. So, I guess we should also ask at this point what it is to be too early. Like, what would happen mm. if we're too early to being, like, that threat? You know, if we are that first threat and not the second threat. Like, what, what does it look like? And how do we know? And I think it's it's because we stand out, right? Yes. That's what it is. Like, you talk about the photo finish just now of us all being neck and neck. The reason the first threat gets eliminated is mm. imagine it's the 100 meter sprint. But you've all got sniper rifles. Oh, mate, that's not a bad example. You've all got pistols. We're not gun people. No, we're not <laughs> gun. What's that? Um, but it, guns aren't legal in Australia. We don't know anything about them. South America. <laughs> <laughs> um, you. <laughs> okay. Imagine we all got we all got handguns. All right. right? We've got Mexican two handguns. Style. Yeah. But we're, we're we're all we're not neck and neck in the race. Yeah. Right. There's someone who is like in the lead. Like, comfortably in the lead in the 100 meter race, like, you just, surely, maybe you got one one bullet in your pistol. You're like, well, I might have a chance against these two people next to me. I'm definitely going to shoot that guy. Yeah, right? and, I, I'm think, not and him. I think your two other opponents that are running behind that leader are also like, I might shoot him as well, actually, because yes. I'm also going to lose. <laughs> Three Let's people fire the dead. same bullet yes. at the same guy. <laughs> I think this is really important um, mm. to, like, not identify if you're getting too far ahead because honestly like thinking back to my early days of playing commander i loved being the first threat Mm. and i think i've learned from this a little bit i used to there is a like an expression in our community called jamesing all over the place (laughs) it sounds so gross but it's it's an expression to represent dumping all of your mana rocks or mana dorks or, yeah. or mana acceleration of any kind onto the battlefield and then being left with no cards in hand. Yes. This is the, called Jamesing all over the place now, which I, I think is fine, but I do really hate when I'm at the game store and someone from across the room, like, tw- like you know, six tables away from me is like, oh man, James, I just Jamesed all over the place. I'm like... That's weird. Well, this <laughs> so is the, weird. This is the one phrase that is used commonly in the games that we play that will never appear on merch ever. Yeah. If we ever do merch, there <laughs> is no all chance. over the place is never ever going to be on a no, t-shirt. Not ever. I'm oh. sorry to say. Yeah, not- I, I think you you definitely early games of command that we played. You were someone who was like, dump all your, all your cards. Yeah, get yeah, a get... really powerful commander out. I used to yeah. play like really expensive commanders. Like mm. I still have my Gishath deck. Yeah. Um, I used to play Galta as well. Yeah. Like I used to play these really expensive commanders that just, A, were a lightning rod for removal, mm. um, but also like got me really insanely close to winning if I just resolved them and one other spell. Yeah. I used to love those archetypes. I genuinely look at those and I'm like, that's not what I'm about now. Mm. For example, I used to run like Brutaclad, Telecore Engineer. That's a yeah. six mana um, commander that makes tokens a copy, well, makes all your tokens a copy of target token you control. Yeah. So, so you, you got five Mia and you got one treasure, you can make all of those six tokens into treasures. Or if you have a Desolation Twin token that's a 10 10, you can one. turn them all into 10 10s yeah. and swing for a freaking million damage. Yeah. I now have completely destroyed that deck and rebuilt it as Tornos, which is a two-mana commander Mm. that copies activated and triggered abilities from artifacts. It's not the win con, it's a way to get the deck working. And I think my deck building has changed a lot, but Mm. also, like, the way I approach the early game has changed a lot. It's a lot more set up, not explode all and James all over the place. It's, it's I hate that phrase I know, so much. It's so bad. It's really endearing that you all say it, but like, <laughs> stop it, please. <laughs> but I totally see where you're coming from. I think, I think, yeah. Look, 
I, I reckon it's almost time for a thrifty interlude, mm-hmm. but I reckon the second half of the episode, we should talk about, yeah, well, I think there's two aspects of it, which is how can we build our decks yeah. to, so that we are the second threat and how do we pilot our decks so that we become the second threat? Because I think there's, there's two different approaches that we have there, but yeah, combined, we can fly under the radar so that, yeah, we're towards the finish line with everybody else. And I think, yeah, it, it is important to think about both these things. And yeah. We'll, we'll get to that. Definitely. But before that, we do have to have a little thrifty interlude so we're gonna hear we're gonna hear a little something about a thrifty card and as is tradition i will be performing a monologue uh this week it's a the card is brought to life in monologue form from the from the perspective of someone who is in the card uh Kind of. Um, this episode's card, would you like to read it out to everybody, James? Yeah, it's Acolyte of a Fiction. So we're going to hear the Acolyte of a Fiction? I, maybe? All right, I'm, well, not, I'm not certain who's talking here. I know that they're weird, and I know that it's related to what's occurring in the card. Thoroughly concerned. But mm. we'll find out what the card does. <laughs> the card is Acolyte of a Fiction. It's two black and a green. You get a human cleric that's a 2-3. And when it enters the battlefield, you mill two cards, and then you may return a permanent card from your graveyard to your hand. I'm brewing a tincture of delight, but it's not for you. No, this is reserved for a very special someone. My curious customers are always asking me, who's that for? What's that going to do? And how quickly does it work? And the answer is, you kill, and immediately, if you ever ask me things like that which aren't for you to know. But this little concoction is going to change the world. For the better? Who's to say? I am but a simple potion maker. Let's just say that our world is about to have one less giant lizard in it. And I'm not talking about my precious parenti over there. Which reminds me, Charles, kill the witness now! Get Oh, it's so delightful to see you in someone else's body <laughs> from the world of Magic the Gathering. And whoever that dude was. That strange... Strange little trinket, tinkerer, potion maker man. <laughs> person. Never yep. want to see that person in my living No, image. that's fair enough. <laughs> um, you can see these really, really strange pieces of writing uh, when they're released, which is every Thursday in our Thrifty Thursdays channel over on our Discord server. It's linked in the show notes. And you can see us bring some of these to life in video form over on TikTok at GetCommanded. Uh, but we better get back to the second threat, yeah. the topic of this episode. And I think we were going to focus on how to construct your deck and how to pilot your deck so that you are the second threat. Yes, because the second threat is likely to win. Yep. The first threat is likely to die because yes. kill the player that plays turn one Sol Ring. Yes. Use your handgun in the sprint. Great metaphor, by the way. You, yeah. You, <laughs> one you of ran my better with that ones. One. Yeah. Um. I ran with my handgun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, how do you build a deck so that you are the second threat? There are a few different. There's a few different things you can do. I reckon. I think the the main one that comes to mind for me, like immediately, mm. is um just play fewer bombs. Ah, uh, yeah. I see what you're saying. Like, 
If you play draft, um, which is a format where you have to build a deck on the fly, where you pass to the left and then pass to the right of packs, but you choose one card from that pack before you pass it on. It's past the parcel, it's but past, it's a pack. Yeah, and when you open your pack, you're going to see a mythic symbol in the corner of the card, mm. and you're going to like, I'm taking that because that is a bomb. Oh, you know what? It's way worse past the parcel because it's past the parcel, but some, you open a layer and then go, I don't like this. I'm going to take the middle. <laughs> That's for the, you know you know how the middle of the of the past the parcel was always for the birthday person because it go round and round yeah. and we're all going yeah oh, it was going to no. land on and then lands on the birthday person they get the thing in the middle imagine like rocking up at a party you open the first layer and you're like nah don't nah. like it punch through the <laughs> wrapping paper give me that Xbox controller <laughs> man my past the parcels were sick if they had Xbox yeah controllers wow on. far out but I get what you're saying it's like when you open a pack and draft and you see the bomb you de- you take it because yeah. that's going to win you the game yeah. in Commander we have every legal bomb in draft that has ever been printed yeah. that we can just throw in our Commander decks yeah. and there is so much reason to include as many as we want yeah. because they're great cards these are cards that are usually like probably in the rare or mythic rare slot mm. in a set and they're usually more than 4 mana 5 mana yeah. they're usually these really expensive effects that if you resolve them it's just like you're in a commanding position Mm. now we're saying play less of these not play none of them at all yes these are really still good to include in your decks but the reason why we're saying play less of them is because if you have a ton in your deck and you're just casting one after the other you are immediately a threat yeah immediately so people will kill you so what we're going to try and do here is make a rational case of why not to put that incredible (laughs) $70 mythic card that you got from that draft that one time in your deck just put one of them in is what we're saying put that one mythic rare don't go into the other double masters box and pull out any more of them put down your trade binder you can sell those cards for more singles (laughs) (laughs) it's true um yeah like you know a card like avenger of zendikar for instance like this is a very very strong card but it costs you seven mana and how often does avenger of zendikar last a turn cycle i would say hazard a guess it's less than 50 percent of the time if i've got a removal spell and there's someone playing landfall and they've got avenger of zendikar with like at least three four uh, four plants like if they've got four plants left and they've still got avenger of zendikar on field it is still hyper threatening to me yeah i am casting my go for the throat on the avenger of zendikar and it's the correct choice to make 100 percent. but if we were to include a card like sprouts this instead. is a personal favourite of yours. Yeah, though, look, so I'm, like... I'm a little biased. Uh, this is for one and a green. It's an instant that says, create a 1-1 green sapper link. It's incredible. Token. What a great sorcery Sucks. speed spell. Awful instant card. speed spell. Um, it also has convoke. Seems pretty good. So you can tap your, tap your creatures to pay for it. Also has buyback. All right, now we're getting somewhere. So it has buyback for three generic, which means if you pay five mana in total uh, for the instant, then you put it back into your hand after it resolves. So you make that sapling, the spell goes back into your hand. Importantly, you can pay the buyback cost with the convoke. Yeah. So you can just, if you have five creatures on the board and one of them's green, at least one of them, you can tap those five creatures, cast this for free, make a sapling, and have that spell back in your hand. Now you're probably going, but Walt, five mana for an instant speed spell that makes me one sapling? That's terrible. However, if you're in a strategy that wants to play Avenger Zendikar and you're creating a bunch of tokens, yeah. this is like, I get to hold up five mana on my turn to either respond, protect my board, mm. make a threat, or or like remove something that if I need to use removal. Yeah. But if nothing happens on the end step before my turn, 
just poop out like five saplings yeah. because I've got 15 open mana. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, exactly right. It's And importantly, this is not going to sit on the battlefield where it can be removed, like mm. Avenger of Zendikar can, right? Like, unless someone's got a counter spell, they're not really dealing with Sprout Swarm. It's not going to happen. Or they're, like, playing Duress in Commander, <laughs> which is really terrible. A bad idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think we see where we're coming from, which is that Avenger of Zendikar sits on the battlefield, draws removal like it's nobody's business. Yeah. Um, is still a good card, but like compared to a card like Sprat Swarm, doesn't have as much immediate impact, yep. but over the course of the game, much more likely to keep the value that you generate there. Alright, we'll do another example. Mm-hmm. Bolos' Citadel. Yeah, this is, is like the bomb to end all bombs. It's terrifying because it gets you more bombs from the top of your library. The wild thing about Bolos' Citadel is that it has more text on it. Yeah, everyone <laughs> forgets about that last line of text. For those that don't know, the first line of text on Bolos' Citadel is you can look at the top card of your library and you may cast it but using life instead of mana to pay for the mana cost yeah but there's a second line of text that everyone <laughs> forgets about that says tap and sacrifice 10 do- non-land permanents do you have to sacrifice bolus to citadel no. as well oh, wow this is insane yeah yeah you tap and sacrifice 10 non-land permanents and you drain everyone for 10. Yeah, each opponent loses 10 life. I think you get, might even gain the 10 as well. It doesn't It doesn't matter. I've literally gotten to the end of a game and someone's like, man, I don't know how I do lethal. Oh, right. Tap, Tap sacrifice, sacrifice 10 non permanents. It's insane. Yeah. This card is ridiculous, especially yeah. that first line of text where you're just casting stuff from the top of your library. If you're doing this, you have got so much value on all of your extra players, you are going to be removed. The yeah. other thing, it's going to be easier for players to remove you because you're using your life as a resource. <laughs> People will just keep punching you until that Bolas' Citadel means jack shit. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to go in yeah. some way or another, whether it's exiled from your board as part of you being exiled from your board. <laughs> um, or if it's removed, it's going to go. Um, yeah, it's it's a lightning rod for removal. Yeah. Again, you can play it. It's fine to play it. But don't have only Avengers and Endicar Balls to sit on your deck. Have, instead, Greed. Greed's a really good parallel here because Greed also uses life as a resource, which is really cool. Yes. But it's drawing you cards yeah. instead of casting cards for free. Drawing cards is still incredibly good. Mm. But it like if I have... If there are two board states and someone is playing Bolas' Citadel and someone else is playing Greed, I am, like, ignoring the Greed. You know? Oh, yeah. You know that episode of Doctor Who where they wear a TARDIS key as a necklace? And it, like, (laughs) shifts their... slide off people. Yeah, you know what I'm talking (laughs) about, right? That is what playing Greed is when (laughs) someone else is playing Bolas' Citadel. Everyone just, like, forgets you're in the game and you're like, I'm just going to pay two life and draw an extra card. I'll do it again. I'll do it again. I now have three extra cards in my hand and no one noticed. (laughs) I'd like to... uh, Forgive me, all those people who don't know anything about Doctor Who. I'd like to indulge this metaphor even further. Uh, I'd like to... By the way, both of us are huge Doctor Who nerds. We're really excited for the Doctor Who Commander decks. Uh, Absolutely. We will probably talk about it on this podcast. We will. I'm going to take it a little bit further. Imagine instead of people's eyes sliding past it, like the greed, right? People's eyes are sliding past it. I think it would be a more accurate representation of like... Doctor Who, you know, the Doctor, Rose, Martha, whoever's with him on that episode is putting the keys on, right? Yeah. To distract everybody. And Captain Jack is nude. <laughs> running running into battle yeah. with a laser gun <laughs> in hand. Like, look at me, I'm going to save the day. And then a Cyberman's just like, delete, yeah. boom, it's gone. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no one is looking for Jack and Rose when Captain Jack is naked. And, and has a gun. Sorry, the yeah. gun's really important. It's not yeah. the nudity. No. I'm not looking at um, Captain Jack Harkness because no. he's naked at all. Um, <laughs> what? 
Uh, John Barrowman's not attractive no, at all. He's no. not just an incredibly handsome man no. that's also gay. That, yeah, pwah. Pwah. Yeah. Pwah. All right, moving on. Back to um, Commander. <laughs> <laughs> this um, might be the first episode where we edit something out. <laughs> Seaborn Muse is a very strong magic card. That's a great bomb. That yes. is a really good example. Very, very good. Um, it draws removal for a good reason, right? Yeah. Like, when you have Seedborn Muse, you are floating like a million mana. It's normally in a deck like a Crufix deck, right? Yeah. Or decks that just basically have flash um, yeah. in like every a, scenario. A Thrasios deck, like, has yeah. an instant speed mana outlet at all times. So yeah. having mana open is perfect because yeah. if nothing else happens, you just pay four mana into Thrasios, scry one, draw a card. It's great. And then with Seedborn Muse, when they pass the turn, you untap uh, all of, of your lands and you take another turn on someone else's turn yeah it's ridiculous it is it's ridiculous but it gets removed a lot of the time yeah. and it should um however we have a, a recent card that is not the same but similar and i would argue flies under the radar maybe just because it's not called seedborn muse sure drum bellower are you familiar with this I think this has flown under my radar. Oh, I'm okay. Not familiar. I am not going to quote the text exactly because I'm sure I'm wrong. It's like a three mana creature. I think it's two and a white. Sure, that's probably um, why I haven't looked at it. <laughs> I forget like what its power tapped is. It might have flying. I think it's a spirit. But it says untap all creatures you control during each other player's untap step. Wow. So if you're in a deck with a lot of mana dorks, this is yeah. basically Seedborn Muse for you. Yeah, but not Seedborn Muse because you're not untapping all your lands. Yeah. So it's not going to draw that amount of removal. And you're I'm also like... saying I'm casting drum. What is it called? Drum, drum bellower? bellower. Yeah. No one's going. Oh yeah, cool. Uh, like oh no, drum bellower. <laughs> Um, Don't bellow the drum! Oh my god, what a threat. But if you go, I'm casting Seedborn Muse, people are like, oh my god, that's yeah. a card that needs reprinting I've... and costs people a lot of money. <laughs> Gotta make that die! Yeah. Yes, it's true. Um, yeah, I think that's one one way we can we can build Just our decks to the second threat. Just putting fewer bombs in is a great bombs, way. Yeah. more synergy, that's one thing we can do. I think another thing we can do, and Sam Black would be proud of us for saying this, mm -hmm. we can just play with a lower mana curve in our deck, right? Yeah, we that's... can just take out some of those six, seven, even five mana value spells, put in more of those one, two, three mana value spells, because as we found with all of those examples, by the way, that we yeah. just gave, lower mana value permanents generally just attract less attention then higher mana value permanents do. Yeah, I mean, when you think about, like, the one-for-one one exchange of me casting a removal spell on your bomb, mm. I'm going up here in value because my go-for-the-throat is two mana. Your Avenger of, the Zendik Avenger of Zendikar is seven mana. Yeah. So I'm casting two mana to basically null and void your seven mana that you've spent to yeah. invest into that. That's a great exchange. Mm. I'm not casting my Bedevil, which is three mana, to get rid of a Drum Bellower, which is three mana. No. Even though it's an even exchange, I feel like it could be better put to use by getting rid of someone's, I don't know, like, a Chroma. Yeah. Or, like, something incredible. Like... Yeah, I mean, like, the, the, the mana advantage is a huge one, but it's also just, like... It's not like why would you do it? You know, you're, just kind yeah. of, you're looking at it. And you're kind of like, I have this one removal spell. I don't think this is the target for it. You know? Yeah. Again, it's that weird and um, metaphor that you put. If you've got one bullet to use <laughs> in your race, yeah, in your running race that apparently has guns in it now. <laughs> um, you're not going to use your one bullet on something that you don't think is a threat. No, no. You're, you're going to use it on that thing that has to go yeah. right now. It's my one bullet. I have to use it. The other benefit of playing a lower mana curve is that you can play more of the things in your hand. Yeah. Which means that you're generally producing more synergy in your deck and mm. on your board state, which 
collectively have that TARDIS key shift the eyes away from it, mm. but can generate you a ton of mana. I used my Tornos deck as an example before. I actually think my Tornos deck is a perfect example of this. A lot of the artifacts that I play in that deck are very low mana value. Mm. I have like a few bombs. For example, I run Memnite. Great bomb. Yep. It's insane. It's ridiculous. It's mm. seven mana though. Not casting that a lot, but I am casting things like Golden Urn, which is a one mana <laughs> artifact that you put an, a charge counter on it in your upkeep and you sacrifice it to gain one life for each charge counter on it. Are you casting <laughs> your targeted Abraid to get rid of that? No. No, you're not. I can say having played against this deck several times, it's a problem that I have. Like I'm looking at your board and I'm like... I know something's got to go, but everything feels bad. Like, yeah, why am I wasting a the most spell? threatening thing for me to get rid of? Well, yeah. and most of the time it's Tornos, and Tornos costs two mana. Yeah, I love my Tornos deck because it does basically everything that we're saying here. It yeah. plays a much lower mana curve, it plays fewer bombs, mm. and it creates more synergy on board that draws less removal. Yeah. But honestly, Tornos is probably one of my most consistent decks at the moment. Mm. It's winning me the most amount of games think it's because I made this decision when I was deck building. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, you can think of it even as just like, imagine that your board has like a hundred points of value on it, right? Like mm. I'm looking at my battlefield, I'm looking at my playmat, I've got a hundred points of value Where across the whole board. Where do you assign the percentages of that hundred? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then consequently, when someone gets rid of one of the things that I have, how much percentage am I losing? So yeah, when I tap out to cast Avenger of Zendikar, the percentage of my board that's like you know, the amount of power I'm getting from Avengers Endicar is probably like 70%, which is great. Yeah. But when it's removed, I've just lost 75% of my deck. And that feels so bad. Yeah. Uh, from like an emotional place. Yeah. If someone removes your bomb that you've just invested a ton of mana in and you're like, this is going to win me the game. And someone's like, swords to plowshares. Yeah. And you're like, Mwah. yeah. Like, <laughs> and you've lost, you know, 70 of your points yeah. there. But yeah, when you play a deck like your Tornos deck, where you spread it across all those different yeah. ones, yeah, I can remove your Golden Urn, but your Golden Urn's like 10% of your board, you know? Yeah. Like, the amount of power that's condensed there is so low that removing it even feels bad. And so I probably won't even remove it at all, which yeah. is like the absolute best outcome for you, right? Yeah, and there's also like a Lux Cannon on my field, which is a four mana, really slow, really bad removal spell. Yeah. It, you have to charge it up and get three charge counters on it, then you can tap it to remove a permanent on the surface that looks terrible yeah so no one's gonna remove it no but over a game i'm removing eight permanents with this card yeah it's awesome because it flies under the radar and because no one cares about it yeah. honestly i think my tornos deck is only going to get away with this for so much longer <laughs> because we're talking about it on the podcast yeah. now and i know that people <laughs> i play with listen to this podcast it's true it's one of those oh, ones now no. it'll be the same old people you play your tornos deck and people are like I know what to do here. Get rid of Golden Urn. <laughs> yeah, it's Golden Get rid of that Golden Urn. <laughs> it's got to go. It's going to gain me like 17 life. <laughs> Just you wait. <laughs> I feel like my most recent deck that I've built is probably a similar kind of thing, which is my Humans deck, which I've talked about a few times now. Yeah. It's my Katilda and Leah. It's banned, so white, green, blue deck. Um, basically wants to cast humans and give instants and sorceries in my graveyard flashback until end of turn. Yeah. One thing this deck does really well is all of the things that I want to do cost almost no mana, but actually have quite an impact on the game because I'm like using them multiple times. Well, so like your removal is doubly good because you're casting a human and flashing it back from graveyard and removing something again. Yeah. And that's a threat in your graveyard that is flying under the radar as well. Yeah, so good. exactly. But then like even the, the humans that I cast, I actually want them to be low in mana 
mana value because I want to be able to like cast them and then some cast something yeah. else. But in looking for like low mana value humans that had a lot of impact, there's quite a few of them. Like even just like Catilda Dawnheart Prime, this one mm. makes all your humans tap for a mana of their colors. So like white humans tap for white, green humans tap for green, etc. Um, it's a two mana value spell. So if it gets removed, it's whatever. But so much of the time it flies under the radar and I'm generating like five, six, seven mana a turn more than I would normally just yeah. from having this one creature out. Imagine if a mana rock cost two mana, but tapped for eight. Yeah. That's what that is on Walt's board, but is flying under the radar because it doesn't read like that. It reads a little bit more complicated. Yeah, exactly. And also like a bit of a shout out to Katilda and Leah here. Mm -hmm. They're an example of a commander that does not draw heat. No. It seems like so many hoops to drum through that no one's like, I need to remove this. Yeah. You know, everyone's looking at that going, the Walt's got to do a million things to get value off this. So yeah. I'm not removing that. And look, they're partly right. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like the deck is not amazing. But yeah, it flies under the radar, which is yeah. a good thing to be the second threat. I think, so that's, I think, a good bit of stuff to focus on when you're building your deck, or yep. like adjusting your deck, whatever, what you can do to be the second threat. The other, obviously, really important thing, we've kind of alluded to this a few times, is how you actually play your deck out. Actually piloting is like really key because like you could have a soul ring in your opening hand. Mm. Do you play it turn one? Yeah. I, think I have resisted playing turn one soul rings for the exact reason of making sure I'm not the first threat in a game. It's amazing the difference between a turn one soul ring and a turn two soul ring. The accumulative effect across your yep. whole game might be similar, but the amount of heat you draw might be really different. So I think the main focus for the first part of this is hidden information is your friend. Yeah. And when we say the hidden information, basically we mean your hand. Your cards yeah. in your hand are known only to yourself, unless people are cheating. Um, <laughs> so you can keep it that way. You can keep things in your hand for quite a while and people will not know that you might be on the verge of victory for yeah. like several turns and biding your time. Um, you can just be like holding that overwhelming stampede. Yeah. Just to make sure that like, you know... Um, uh, what's the Adeline, that new mono-white legendary creature oh, that gets yeah. huge, in your token deck is, like, just at lethal point with the amount of tokens you have, Yeah, then you can cast over one. Yeah, exactly. That's probably the first tip I would say, is refrain from deploying those really big threats until you absolutely have to. Mm, and usually sure. the answer to absolutely have to is... Because you're about to win or someone else is about to win. Um, so you just got to do something right now. So yeah, like, you know, you said Overwhelming Stampede. Um, in my humans deck, I play Kamal, Heart of Crosa. Oh, this is like overrun every combat yeah. on a creature, right? Yes. Yeah. And also can make your lands into creatures and then they can get bigger. It's like a just an absolute bomb. Eight mana creature though. Like it costs a lot of mana. Big boy. But even if you ha I have eight mana, I'm often waiting like two to three turns before I actually cast it, because as soon as Kamal's on the battlefield, You'd people like are like... You'd like first. Well, yeah, but also people can see it. They're like, yes. okay, I know you're close to the win. I see your win con right there. And I know that just removing it is the way to stop your win con. Yeah, if you get two more creatures, you've got all of us dead yeah. like in a couple of turns. I'll just get rid of it now, solve the problem. Yeah, that's so that's exactly what the first threat would do, mm. right? Is play out those huge bombs and draw all the heat. But if you're going to be the second threat, Hold those cards in your hand. Keep the hidden information hidden. Yeah, and I think that the next step to that, if you're refraining from like casting your big threats and putting your bombs that you do have in your deck on the battlefield, instead of spending your mana in that, 
Put your mana somewhere else. And I'm like, my perfect place to put mana is drawing cards, for example. Yeah. If I can draw cards and sculpt my hand and make it easier to find the line that will get me the win, I'll do that for like two turns and make myself seem really non-threatening. Like I have done it before where I've managed to convince people that I am nowhere near winning because I don't have it on board yet, but I've drawn 20 cards mm. in the past two turns and I've got the perfect seven in my hand that yeah. if I deploy this on a turn, I should be able to just win the game. This is the exact opposite side of the advice we gave you in the first half about identifying threats. James is the threat there, but he's doing so in a way that's not immediately obvious. Yes. It might be obvious to some people who have been playing Magic for a long time. But because but I've drawn 20 cards over two turns... I'm threatening. He's, he's threatening, but he's not doing so in a way that's obvious. Like, he's not playing out, you know, like that busted artifact yep. or that Kamal Heart of Crosa. You're keeping them in your hand. And I might yeah, just like, cast this, like, you know, power conduit. Yeah. It's, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. Yeah. And, like, yeah, I think so much of the time when I've watched really, really good Magic players, not necessarily play Commander, but just in general, when they don't have, like, the perfect sequence of plays, they just draw cards. Yeah. And I think it's the right thing to do. Like, I think if you don't have the, the right cards to play right now, like, if you have a removal spell and there's no good targets for your removal spell, don't play it just because it's in your hand. Play that Harmonize. Draw three cards. You'll probably find your way into a better line. And also, especially instant speed stuff. Yeah. Hold that in your hand. Doing that in your main phase at sorcery speed is so much worse than what you think it is. Yeah. It like, yes, it's removing a threat, but if you hold it in your hand and wait for all three opponents to make their next turn, there might be an even more threatening thing in those three turns that they take. And then after they've taken your turns, you can re-threat assess and go, mm. oh, that Avenger of Zendikar actually isn't the threat. Yeah. This Akroma is the threat. Or this um, Krenko is now terrifying. That's like really good magic playing is waiting until the very last moment to use your resources. Well, and also in terms of who's the threat in that circumstance, you might, with that removal spell as a factor, like removing the absolute worst thing on the board, you might effectively be in the best seat now. You know yeah. what I mean? 100%. By, by not playing it for a little while, you can make everyone think that the other player is the problem. They're the first threat, right? They're the one who's got that really problematic permanent over there. And before your turn, when you remove that, you might suddenly have your opponents looking around and going, wow, I think James is in the lead now. Because now I get a whole turn where I can develop a winning board state and you have to rebuild your whole game plan because I removed your win con. It's amazing the, the a well-timed removal spell can literally flip the course of the game mm -hmm. completely. It's yeah, amazing. One of my favorite expressions in um, Magic is, oh yeah, negate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and speaking of that, I think like one th other thing you can do if you're not going to be drawing cards is using your mana on spells that aren't permanent. Like mm. when I say that, I mean instants and sorceries, basically. Well, they're not. If an opponent doesn't have a counter spell in hand or a response to that effect right now, you're going to have that effect resolve yeah. and the value from it. And then no one can hurt you after that. Or no one no. can get rid of that threat. It's already happened. Yeah. For example, if you're casting a big draw spell and you're drawing a punch cards, unless someone can respond to that mind spring on the stack, mm. you're going to redraw all those cards. Well, and as we found out last week, even James, the counterspell master, is not playing that many counterspells in Commander. You really, yep. like, I think so much of the time people are planning for counterspells, and they do happen, yep. but so much less than you think that they will in Commander. Mostly people are playing removal, they're playing spells that protect their permanence, they're not playing counterspell the card, or arcane denial the card. I will resist my urge to rant again <laughs> two episodes in a row on counter spells and commander but it's yes true. i totally agree yeah
Um, I think the other thing you can do to be that second threat is to go, if you are going to go off, like if it is your time to go, you know, you've drawn the spells, you've done the removal, you've your done all that stuff. You've got your hand, you're ready to go. You've got the bombs in hand. Go off when someone else is ahead. Oh, that's like the perfect time to do it too. Yeah. And especially you can scale how much you go off. To make sure that you're not going off more than the person that's currently in the lead. Yeah. So you can still say, like, they're more threatening than I am. Mm. And politic your way for player removal on that person. And then just go that extra level and be like, oh, no, I'm now at full 900 power. Yeah. <laughs> this is, I think, something that I've noticed separates good, like, really good commander players from just, like, okay commander players. Is when people have identified that the tide is about to turn. Mm. Like, when the first threat is about to be eliminated, you'll often see really good players will go yes, like, I know I thing. could kill this player now, but actually doing so puts this person way in the lead. Yeah, you might hear the phrase, like, I'll probably die on the crackback yeah. if I remove this player like if i swing out at walt i don't know johnny over there might be developing a board state that can kill me before i get to untap and have blockers again mm. this is a real thing it's like it's like watching an old person when they know it's about to rain that's a really good <laughs> analogy for this you know when they're like i feel it in my bones i know walt's about to play glunch it's gonna happen <laughs> it's glunch time it's glunch time <laughs> about to rain treasure on my you just spat water all over yourself no i didn't oh we totally need a camera for this podcast not this one this one can go off camera (laughs) (laughs) look i think that there's some really good tips there on how to make sure that you're piloting your deck to be the second threat yeah however i want to propose Mm -hmm. there is ways you can play a game of commander without being a threat at all and win Interesting. Can you can you elaborate on that? Look, I think that there's certain deck archetypes, and I'm going to call out a, like a famous archetype in Commander that often results in them being removed first because there's the expression "remove the group hug player oh, first." Group hug. So group hug is, if for those that don't know, is an archetype of deck which maybe I don't know. The space commanders might abduct us and ask us to build group hug one day. <laughs> maybe someday. Um, but group hug, the whole strategy of the deck is to play effects that benefit the entire table. So we're talking like cards like. Um, Rights of Flourishing, for example. Mm. People can play an extra land on their turn. That's yep. sick. Um, Dictate of Karametra. All lands tap for double mana. Mm. That's insane. Yeah. Dictate of Crufix. Every player draws an extra card in their turn. Yep. What? These are like effects that group hug players are doing to be like, I'm speeding up the whole game. So don't remove me. You're getting benefits from me. Mm. I'm not a threat to you because my board is helping your board. Well, and the secret tech behind the group hug player is that they are benefiting from that scenario more than everybody else is. Yes, they've so they, built their deck specifically too. Yes, that's yeah. the whole point. Otherwise, if, they, if they're rocketed at everyone ahead the same amount, then they would not win any more often than anybody else. But yes, group hug players intentionally fly under the radar. And funnily enough... As like a sort of backlash to that of probably a lot of group hug players winning games. Yeah. Um, people now have, yeah, the expression you mentioned before, which is kill the group hug player first. Because the group hug player has designed their deck for that long game. For the game where the first threat gets eliminated and then they go, oh, oh, would you look at that? I have lethal damage on everybody. How convenient. You weren't looking. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how this happened, guys. Oh, so what the hell? 
I think something else group hug players do is they design their mana curve to be like everything within one to five mana is all group hug stuff. It's all mm. benefiting the table, doing all that. Then their six mana, seven mana, eight mana slot is just packed with bombs. Yeah. So after the table has been developed and people are close to death, they can just be like, mm, okay. Elishnorn. Yeah. Um, like, you know, now everything dies, my thing's a huge swing, you're dead. Or even like Insurrection, you know? Yes. Like, oh my god, that's getting have... reprinted in Commander Masters, have you seen that? It is, I did see that. I, I saw there was some people who were a bit upset that it's been reprinted at Mythic, because they're like, It might oh, feel bad to be, draft it, yeah. Feel, well, also, like, if you're just opening packs and you're like, oh, I wonder what my Mythic is in this pack and it's Insurrection, you're kind of like, it's okay. It's still cool. I like the cool. card insurrection. Oh, it's a great yeah. card. And yeah, if you're playing group hug and you're giving everyone all the resources and it's like, cool, deploy all your threats. Yeah, do it now. I'll take them. <laughs> yeah, and now you're dead with your resources. Yeah, I love it. Exactly. But I think there is another archetype of deck that can win without being a threat until the very last second. Mm -hmm. Combo decks. This is what I was thinking when you asked if you can be a threat and, like, not for the whole game. Yeah. This, I would say, is kind of the other side of the coin, where I actually think this is a problem with combo decks in casual pods. Well, I used to run my CDH deck, my my now CDH deck, when it wasn't fully CDH, I used to run my Niv-Mizzet Curiosity combo list, mm -hmm. which is a two-card combo that part of it sits in the command zone with Niv-Mizzet. There's I also, it doesn't have to be Curiosity, there's, like, two other effects in the deck. I, Tandem Lookout. Yeah. Um, it basically results in infinite draw which is incredible and infinite ping damage yeah i say infinite it is limited to the amount of cards in your deck yes but there are ways you can make it infinite with the it's titan shuffle or close whatever. enough you're winning the game if you're machine gunning everyone down <laughs> with that combo yeah but when i used to play this in casual tables i was like all right ramp some mana do some stuff my board's empty i got no creatures cast niv mizzet cast curiosity go infinite win yeah and everyone's like what yeah it feel, you feel kind of cheated out of the game a bit, yeah. a little bit. And I think, honestly, like, as a casual player who has played a lot in this kind of power level slot, I think people are right to feel a bit upset about that, right? Like, everything we've mentioned in the first half of this episode about analysing threats, about being the second threat, all of that stuff goes out the window as soon as someone plays a combo. Because mm -hmm. it's like, cool, like, yeah, I maybe... Or an instant win infinite combo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um... You know, I had I had very little ways to know this was coming. Like, yeah, maybe someone drew 10 cards or whatever, but, like, I didn't know this was the explicit end of the game, and it sort yeah. of feels like it invalidates everything that happened before. We're not saying you can't play combos. You should definitely mention them in the Rule Zero conversation. And I think, yeah, this is probably a way that you can legitimately be a threat, sorry, be not a threat for the entire game and still win. But I would say, like, tread cautiously because mm. it's likely to cause a good number of people to feel pretty salty, myself included. And also, like, consider doing what I did. Retire that deck from casual and see if there's a CDH build that plays that combo. If you yeah. really enjoy winning out of nowhere and playing that combo line to win the game, you might actually really like CDH. Yeah. We did an episode fully on CDH and busted some myths about how it isn't what a lot of people think it is, full of really competitive, sweaty players. Mm. It's a really great community. Lots of fun. We play CDH quite... I play a little bit more than you do. Yeah. Um, but it's a great community. Try it out. If you're trying to play your Spellseeker combo with that new Esper commander that's weird and requires a million steps, looking at you, Jordan, who listens <laughs> to this podcast, um, you might want to like change that to a CDH list. And yeah. I know Jordan has got a CDH list with this commander because he found that combo so attractive. <laughs> so... Check it out. Yeah. If nothing else, give it a go because it'll get, give you a sense for what the top of our format looks like and it actually lets you scale it down way better. Yeah, 100%. So, 
When you play Commander, you're going to become the threat at some point, but doing it early will result in a lot of early losses. Building your deck around synergy pieces instead of bombs, and piloting cautiously and secretively will mean that when you hit that final stretch of the game, you've got plenty of gas in the tank to sprint over the finish line. So, Space Commanders, Command, command Received! This episode feels like the core of Get Commanded. It does feel very like our typical, mm. here's how to, how to navigate the murky waters of playing a game that's competitive and casual at the same time. And just incredibly complicated. Yes. Um, but to the listeners, do you feel commanded? What do you think about the idea of being the second threat? And I really want to know if you are usually the first threat. And I'd love to know oh. your win percentage. Um, because if you, <laughs> if, are, you know it. if you are someone that is the first threat, you're probably dying first. Yeah, a good chunk of the time. Or maybe you are pub stomping. <laughs> maybe you just need to decommission a deck. It's um, true. It's possible. Um, the best way to get in touch with us is by either sending us an email or joining our Discord server is the absolute best way to do so. It's linked in the show notes you can chat with us other members of our playgroup and we'd like to ask you also to follow us on twitter to see our thoughts on upcoming cards sets events other magic the gathering updates we just talked about how um commander masters is coming yeah you we'll can... be sharing our thoughts there for sure yeah definitely they're reprinting the medallion sorry i couldn't I know. resist i'm I, so excited everyone was hoping and it's actually happening it's great news um it's at get commanded to follow our twitter yeah and also we'll be announcing when we're at like events because we're going to command fest yeah so follow us to keep up to date but if you want to support what walt and i are doing and keep getting great episodes like this and seeing it get better i keep saying that we need video evidence of walt spilling water on himself <laughs> so if you want us to start making video content you can help us get there by supporting us on patreon it's linked in the show notes um you can support us at get commanded on the patreon website um and we would like to make a special thank out uh, shout out to some of our patrons. Firstly, Stella Tam, thank you very much. And a very special shout out to Fletcher Cutting for supporting us in the Space Commander tier. Fletcher, you are the best. It's true. We'd also like to thank Palms Off Gaming who sponsor this podcast. They make some really fantastic deck boxes, sleeves, binders, and other gaming accessories. Around the time this episode comes out, maybe a little bit later, we're actually featuring on the Palms Off Gaming podcast. It's so exciting. We're going to be somewhere else. We're going to be somewhere else. We're going to be in their studio. We've talked about it a few times way back on yeah. the on the podcast, if you've heard us talk about it from back then. Um, but they're, they're having us on there, so we're going to chat to them about everything Commander. They don't play Magic, I don't think, any mm. of them. There's, they've dabbled in it, but we, yeah. we, we want to talk about products that Commander players want. We're going to talk yeah. about the Commander format. We'll link it on all of our socials, but there might be something in this incredible adventure for you guys as well yeah we don't want to give away too much yet but we're talking to palms off gaming and we'd like to give back to you the listeners just a little bit for sure but in the meantime you can go check out their amazing range of products at palmsoffgaming.com.au all right well it is tradition at the end of an episode we planes walk away from magic the gathering and talk about something else we do what's cracking it's your turn it is my turn uh i'd like to planes walk us up to Sydney. Ah, you just recently got back from Sydney. I do did get back from Sydney. So I had a few people ask me about this when I was at um, playing Commander at our local game store last week because mm -hmm. I've talked about it in the podcast before. So yep. I forget people are aware of it. But um, <laughs> we I, have a public platform. Yeah, <laughs> I have Planeswalk here before. Uh, it's this amazing project I was doing um, up on well, initially Dungutty Country and and more recently up on Gadigal Country. Uh, to work with some members of the Stolen Generation, specifically the survivors of the Kinchilla Boys Home. Yeah, if you're not from Australia and you're unaware of what the Stolen Generation is, um, give it a quick Google. It's pretty confronting. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, borderline genocide. Like, it's, it's yeah. very horrific. Um, it is. But it is very, very 
still relevant in today's society and yes. wasn't long ago no. for so, reference. So, well, some would argue it never ended, but that's another story. Yeah. But basically, yeah, I, I did the last, the final week of my four weeks of developing a play script with a, a group of the survivors from the Kinchilla Boys Home yep. uh, who have now an Aboriginal corporation um, and their descendants. So we developed a script in, in consultation with them. Um, but ultimately it was development, right? So we were yeah. working stuff out. We were talking to them a lot about what they wanted to see. Uh, and it culminated uh, last week up uh, in Sydney on Gadigal Country with a showing. Uh, we did two showings. One was to some members of the, the theatre community and yep. the sort of wider Carriage Works is the place where we did it, the Carriage Works community. But we also did a showing to um, the uncles from the Kinchilla Boys Home. Uh, who survived there. And um, the good news is they absolutely loved it. They literally had not a single negative note for um, the, the what we put together and the way that we presented it and who presented it and that kind of thing. Which I don't think you're going to give enough credit to you and the company that you worked with to, mm. on this. But for Indigenous people to look at a predominantly white, cisgendered, um, privileged background set of people tell stories of a very historically disadvantaged and disenfranchised and displaced people mm. for them to say you did a good job brings act like i'm choking up i'm not sure if you can hear that mm. but like it's beautiful what yeah. you've done is incredible it's i really i i can't i owe so much to um to blaine my, my friend blaine welsh who uh directed the the yep. process and put a lot of it together and um has a very close familial tie to mm. the to the to the community up there um but also to the actual survivors themselves if if nothing else look up the kinchula boys home aboriginal corporation and listen to some of the stories from from the men who survived there because they are like legitimately some of the most amazing people i've ever met in my entire life and they are incredibly yeah. generous and yeah so so warmly welcomed us and yeah basically gave us their blessing and said yeah. we we appreciate what you're doing we want it to continue so yeah fingers crossed um, next year, uh, we may see some more about this play and I might still be involved in it. So yeah, I just wanted to update everybody because people have been asking about it. But yes, the outcome is very, very positive and likely um, there will be a full production next year. I can't confirm anything, but likely. No, likely. but um, it, it was a great success. I picked you up from the airport yeah. um, and I got to hear all about this the second you touched down in Melbourne. Mm. And yeah, I am so glad that it's going to give a little bit of a break because it took a lot out of you, I think. This yeah. was a big project for you, especially as an actor to embody a voice mm. and, and speak on this kind of stuff. You got in the car and we spoke for a bit, but there was a good chunk of silence in the car when we drove yeah. home just to let you decompress. Um, well done. Thank I can't you. wait for this project to come to Melbourne so I can see it. Well, um, hopefully, yeah. And if, if it doesn't come to Melbourne... I'm up in Sydney. I'm going anywhere to get... Because this was a showing, not full-scale production. No. I'm, I'm excited. I would support it financially if, <laughs> if there's an opportunity to, to make it happen. Cool. Well, well, we'll see what happens, but we'll definitely keep you posted and uh, in case any of you want to see, see what that looks like. But um, I think that's all we have time for. So we'll see you next Friday for another transmission from the Space Commanders. Goodbye, Commander players. Bye.